Well, we're uh, continuing tonight our series in 2 Corinthians, and we've got as far as chapter 10. Uh, We're going to do quite a lot of work in the text tonight, so it's important that you have the Bible open in front of you. Uh, Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Just to set the scene for those of you that have not managed to follow the series so far or have forgotten since last week when the scene was last set, um, 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, obviously. Um, he'd had a difficult relationship with them. He was the first to preach the gospel to them. And it's through them, through him, that they'd come to know the love and hope of the Lord Jesus and to start living a Christian life. Uh, that love that he's got for them comes through clearly uh, in the book, that he's, in the letter that he's written to them. But things hadn't always gone very well in the church at Corinth and he'd had to deal firmly with them uh, in, a letter, in letters that he'd written to them. Uh, and in uh, visits that he'd made to them as well. That caused pain on both sides, and when you get that kind of pain in a relationship, then it causes a strain. And it seems uh, that as that had happened, certain people had come in to the church and started sort of taking advantage of that strain in the relationship between Paul and the church in Corinth to try and get themselves in there and start having their own authority and their own emphases. And so this letter that Paul is writing to them is particularly, he's got, he goes through all sorts of different things and um, some lovely themes that he has. But the main thing that he's trying to do through this letter is to appeal to them to come back to him, to accept his authority as an apostle and the teaching that he's given them. And that's not because he wants to big himself up and be the man it's because he knows that the teaching that he's giving them is the teaching through which they came to faith and a hope in Jesus and the teaching that can keep them that way and keep them fruitful and useful Uh, these people that are coming in Paul gives them uh, the nickname super apostles and um, we get that in in chapter 11 Uh, it's a pretty cool name uh, a bit confusing because normally if somebody's got a super at the start of their name in sort of superhero things, that means they're a good person, Superman, Supergirl, Super Ted. For those of you from the 80s cartoon world, good, getting some nods from my Welsh brother. Um, but these guys, they weren't good. They were, um, they were not helpful at all. Uh, they were coming in and trying to point people to a different way, a different way of doing things. Uh, and Paul has got to, to fight them off. And you can just imagine this Paul who... He's described as not being particularly impressive in the way he looks. Um, up against these big, strong, confident, handsome teachers that are coming in. The super apostles are not good. They claim to be apostles and love Jesus, but they're nothing like Jesus. They're about power and success, about glitz shows, looking at us. And Paul can see that this is a danger for the church that he's led. And a church that could move away from following Jesus. So that's the, the setting and the context And as he writes to them, and particularly as he appeals to them in this chapter, uh, we can see how he's trying to defend his ministry. But it's helpful for us as well, because it gives us a picture as well of what true Christian service is like. So that's what our theme is going to be tonight, what we're going to be looking at, true Christian service. Now, before we attack that theme, some of you might be thinking, service? Why do I want to be serving anybody? If you're here this morning, then you heard about Jesus, our saviour who's got a persistent love for us and a passionate love for us, who is good. If you don't know him, then you need to get to know him and know about him, but more than knowing about him, you need to get to know him. And when you know him and know how good he is, 
You'll want to serve him. So as a church, we're people who've come to know Jesus, who love him. And for us, the theme of Christian service and how we serve and please Jesus is a massively important one for us. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And we're going to do that under four headings. First of all, we're going to look at true Christian service and see that true Christian service is Christ-like. True Christian service is Christ-like. We see that in verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Just stop there to start with. This is um, not just Paul putting in some nice flowery words as he starts. This is really important. He said in the context of his argument that Jesus, our saviour, the Lord, the one we follow, what was he like? Two words. He was humble and he was gentle. He's our leader and example. And those who lead the church and those who serve in the church must be that way as well. The humility and gentleness of Christ. So these super apostles who came in who were so influential, they seem to be the complete opposite of that from what we can pick up about them. They seem to be very full of themselves, very keen on themselves, and quite harsh and quite hard in the way that they spoke about Paul and possibly about other people as well. You can see the way they spoke about Paul uh, in the rest of verse 1. I, Paul, who am timid, in quotations, when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. And later on in verse 10, you can see again what they're saying about him. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. So they were putting Paul down. They were full of themselves. So first thing we need to do this evening as we're thinking about how we serve Christ is to check ourselves to make sure that in the way that we serve, the way that we live, that these two um, virtues that uh, marked Jesus mark us as well. Humility and gentleness. Think of the way that Jesus treated people Think of the woman at the well. Think of the little children who were brought to Jesus. Think of the way that Jesus speaks about his bride, as we saw in Song of Songs this morning. It's loving, it's gentle, it's kind. That's the way that we're to deal with each other. You know, we live in a world where people who lead and people who are in charge can often feel that they need to be, portray themselves as big and strong, to be quite harsh and brusque. But that's not the way we're to lead, that's not the way that we're to serve So true Christian service is Christ-like. True Christian service is humble and gentle. It's meek, to use an older word, an older translation. But it's never weak. Christian service is never weak. And that's our second point, moving us on to look at verses 2 to 6. True Christian service fights with Christ's weapons. Now let's just think about that for a second. Fighting. Is fighting something that we should be doing as Christians? Is fighting a good thing? I think some of us live in this sort of bubble where we're brought up where all sort of nasty things we shouldn't do and fighting is part of that. But the Bible is clear that the Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. And Paul moves very comfortably to talk about waging war in, uh, in verse 2 or verse 3. Uh, waging war. And we need to be sure and understand that as Christians we're in a fight. When we become Christians... The devil hates us and wants us to fail. Our own nature is against us. We, we want to live in a way that pleases God, but our own nature is inclined to sin and to do wrong. And there's a whole world of temptation out there. So we want to do the right thing, but so often we don't. We're involved in a fight. And as a church as well, there's a constant battle. There's, uh, again, the devil hates the church. The devil doesn't want to see that church planted in Bakewell. The devil doesn't want to see this church thriving. 
there's so many temptations to go away from the truth, the true message of Christianity, which is not acceptable in the world that we live in. So we are in a fight, and we need to be clear that we're in a battle. So Paul's clear that we have to fight, but he's also clear about how we fight. How do we fight? Look at verse 4. So verse 3, we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Paul tells us that we have to fight. He tells us we have weapons. He tells us we don't fight in the same way that the world does. He tells us the weapons that we have are powerful. They can take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And they can demolish strongholds. One thing he doesn't do here is actually tell us what the weapons are. And there's a whole sort of um, field of literature of imaginative um, dropping into this passage what these weapons might be. But we need, don't need to do that. All we need to do is look elsewhere in Paul's writings um, to see what these weapons are. And um, I found this graphic. There is a danger in finding graphics on Pinterest, which is that the Roman soldier that Paul was thinking of becomes quite girly. I don't know how well you can see that, actually. But this is uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul again talks about Christian fighting and the ways that Christians wage war. And you can see there... Um, We start with the belt of truth, which uh, holds everything together. Got the breastplate of righteousness, God's or Christ's righteousness, one for us on the cross, which guards our hearts. Our feet ready to take the good news of the peace with God that comes through the gospel to a needy world. The shield of faith protecting us from attack. The helmet of salvation guarding our minds with the truth of what God has done for us through Christ and the fact that we are His children right with him and have that privilege of being adopted into his family and then there's the attacking weapon the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so that we don't just defend ourselves but we also go forward those are the weapons that we fight with perhaps we can um, um, (laughs) sum that up as God's word applied and made powerful by his spirit God's word applied and made powerful by his spirit. I think that's what these weapons are that we fight with. With doctrine, truth, practical truth applied through God's Holy Spirit at work in the world. And that truth is powerful. Do you know that the truth of the Bible knocks down arguments? Do you know why it knocks down arguments? Because it's true. And people who want to hold God at a distance... People who want to say that the Bible is not true and that this gospel is not true, they fail because it is true, because it's a word given by God and it's implied by God's spirit working in people's hearts and minds. God's word is powerful, but it doesn't always look that way, does it? It doesn't always seem to be powerful. It was interesting that David said that uh, the church that they're planting is going to be completely different to CEC and I know what you mean. But in some ways, it's going to be exactly the same because what are they going to be doing there? They're going to be taking the word of God and they're going to be applying it to their lives and to the people around them and they're going to be praying for God's Holy Spirit to be at work to change people and transform people. Now, that's not always a very um, exciting sort of method to give people. You know, the way to draw a big crowd is to meet what people think are their needs can draw a big crowd through uh, offering healing and health 
or through telling people you've got a message which is going to make them rich. You can draw a big crowd through religion and rituals and that sort of way of doing things. That can seem very attractive. But Paul's saying that's not the way we fight. That's not the way that the gospel goes forward. The gospel goes forward as God's word is preached and explained and is applied in the world. That's the way the church should be. That's the way the church should work. Anything else is fake. It's not the way it's going to be. It's not the way it should be. So true Christian service is Christ-like, first of all. And true Christian service fights with the weapons that Christ gives us. Thirdly, true Christian service boasts in Christ. True Christian service boasts in Christ. So in verse 7 onwards, Paul starts boasting. And this boasting goes on through the rest of chapter 10. It goes on through chapter 11 and chapter, part of chapter 12 as well. Paul, the great apostle, the one who follows the humble and gentle Jesus, gives us two and a half chapters of boasting. And that might seem strange to you. You might think, well, that's a bit odd. Why is he doing boasting? Surely when I was brought up, I was taught that that's not a good thing to do. Don't like it when people boast. It's, not, it's one of those things we don't like it when other people do, isn't it? It's a bit like lying. We don't like it when other people do it, but we're quite happy to justify it when we do it ourselves. And we might be a bit surprised by this. We might think that the word boasting is a negative thing. And it is. And as you see Paul's boasting, it's clear that he's doing it reluctantly. It's not something that he enjoys doing. But I think he's deliberately using this provocative word to point out what he's being pushed to by these uh, intruders that have come into the church uh, who are pushing a completely different way. And it's clear that he's uncomfortable with it. And yet, boasting is something that he does. He uses it. But notice what Paul boasts in. What does he boast in? Verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. So what's, what, does, what does Paul boast in, in verse 13? He boasts in the service that God has given him, as boasting a sphere that includes the Corinthians. What's he boasting in? He's boasting in the work that God has done. He's boasting in the work that God has done. And then verse 17, a well-known verse, particularly if you have Colin Buchanan CDs playing in the car. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what are the things that Paul talks up? It's not himself, is it? He's never talking up about himself or what great guy he is. Who's he talking up? He's talking up the Lord, God, and he's talking up the work that God has done in his life. And the work that God has done through him in other people and the work that God continues to do in other people. Now, what about you? Just Are you a boastful person? Some of us are, by nature, people who like to talk about ourselves. We're the hero of our own stories. Uh, our Facebook pages are full of our wonderful lives and the wonderful things we've done, the cakes we've baked, the uh, things we've built, the brilliant time that we've had. Some of us are boastful people. Some of us are well enough brought up not to be boastful, but we'd love to if we could, because it's part of our human nature, isn't it, to want to build ourselves up. Well, boasting is not a good thing. It's not a Christian thing. But it is something that we can see from these verses that can be redeemed. That is something that can be 
brought into our Christian service. Because when we become Christians, we die to ourselves. We recognize that there's no good in us, in ourselves. But we find somebody who loves us despite what we are, who changes us from what we are, who promises to continue changing us, and who promises to take us one day to be with him in a world where lying is gone and boasting is gone and fighting is gone, a world of peace and joy, a world where everything is made right. That's our Lord and Saviour who loves us persistently and passionately. And the great news is that when we become Christians, we don't stop boasting, we start boasting about something that's worth boasting about. We talk up, not ourselves anymore, but Jesus. So let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And let our stories point back to Jesus. Let him be the hero of the stories that we tell. Let our Facebook pages, they can go if they're not good for us. But if they stay, then let them stay, but pointing to Jesus. Let them be places where people see who our hero is, who our hope is, and that we don't put our hopes in ourselves. We don't up our, big up ourselves, but we do big up our Lord, our Saviour, that we're won over by that meekness and gentleness of Christ. So if you've always wanted to boast but been too well brought up, I've got great news for you. Start boasting about Jesus. And if you're inclined by nature to be a boastful person, it can be redeemed. And you can start opening that big mouth of yours and talking, not about yourself, but about the Lord Jesus. So true Christian service is Christ-like. True Christian service fights Christ's way. True Christian service boasts of Christ. But one thing I want to see and, and major on really in this passage is that true Christian service is always mo- moving forward with Christ's message. So Paul's defending his service because he wants to defend the Corinthians. He wants to save them from the blind alley of the sort of thinking uh, that these super apostles want to take them down. He wants to win them back. He does it gently and we've been struck as we've looked over these passages of the gentle way that he speaks to them, begs with them pleads with them he's got authority he use it if he has to but he'd rather not but you notice in verses 15 and 16 just how big his goal is it's not just to win the Corinthians back it's not just to straighten out this church but it's beyond that Look at verses 15 neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others our hope is that as your faith continues to grow our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the the regions beyond you. We do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. What is Paul's big hope for the Corinthians and for the Corinthian church? It's not just to straighten them out, but it's that he can use them as a base and go beyond them to take the gospel even further. And this is something that's striking about Paul in his ministry, isn't it? How many times does Paul go somewhere get beaten up for preaching the gospel and then go straight down the road to the next town which is very similar with a very similar mix of people and start preaching the gospel again. And you think, Paul, give yourself a break. You've just been beaten up. But he goes forward to the next place. And true Christian service is always moving forward with Christ's message. You you might think that Paul, he's been on this exhausting journey to try and win these Corinthians back. Perhaps that's enough for now. Let's just be happy with having this church thriving. But not Paul. He always wants to look up and out and look at the regions beyond. 
He wants their faith to grow so he can use them as a base to reach the regions beyond. He's like a great general. He always wants to win new territory for the king, to plant new churches of which he can boast in Christ's work. He's always looking up and out. Uh, And what about us? What about us in our lives? Do any of us go through the degree of pressure that Paul went through? He describes in uh, this this book some of the pressure that he goes through uh, in his care and concern for the churches, in the physical um, beatings that he takes, in the shipwrecks, in the hunger and the thirst. Um, He describes just how much of a struggle he goes through for all the churches, not just the church in Corinth, but he's got all these churches on his heart. And yet he's looking up and out to take the gospel further. And for us sometimes we can feel like just surviving life is victory enough. If I can cling on to my faith for another week, if I can just get through this trial. I think we, we, we all who've uh, lived for any length of time know what it's like to feel like that. And Paul certainly knew what it was to feel like that. But still he looked up and he looked out. He looked up to God who is powerful and the God who, whose name was to be glorified throughout the world and looked out to all the regions where the gospel wasn't preached and the hope of Jesus wasn't known. It's been great today, hasn't it, to uh, think to, to learn this morning about sharing lives here in Chessington and this area, people looking out to those who are needy in our community to try and reach them. And then this evening, people looking up north to an area where there's no gospel ministry at the moment, not a thriving gospel church and looking up and out not thinking oh let's just retire or let's just continue comfortable here in Chessington but let's look up and let's look for a place where we can go and serve and what about us do we do we do that do we look up and out do we look out to the people around us to our mission field do we look to the people around us who need to know the hope and truth of the Lord Jesus or, or, or do the pressures of life draw us down and make us look in? It can be so easy for that to happen. But let's look around. Let's see the people that are needy, the people that don't know Jesus, that are living in ignorance, even here around us. And what about the bigger picture of the world as well? Do you have a bigger picture of the world? Do you have a book like Operation World? The church is bigger than you think. Any of these books which can open your horizons to thinking about the big wide world? Do you pick up the mission uh, prayer diary that's available at the back? Do you read the back of In Touch each week and the the mission section in in the um, church email that goes out? It's important that we're people who are looking out around us and also looking out at the big wide world. Uh, In one of Patrick Johnson's books, Patrick Johnson is a chap that writes uh, Operation World and some of these other books which help us get a big picture of what God's doing in the world and the needs uh, he, he, he says that estimated that about 25% of the world's population still has no realistic chance of hearing the gospel. 2,000 years after Paul started looking out and taking the gospel, 25% of the world's population still has no realistic chance of hearing the gospel. Do we care about that? Do we look out? Do we pray about that? Let's be people who don't let our circumstances drag us down into just looking in but let's be people who look up and look out to what God's doing so true Christian service is Christ-like true Christian service fights with the weapons that uh, Christ has given us true Christian service boasts but it boasts in the Lord 
and true Christian service is always moving forward with God's message. That fight is always there, isn't it? To serve, to serve in a Christ-like way and to keep that vision. But let's be people who have that vision and keep that vision and take that vision into the week with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for a saviour who is worth boasting about, a saviour who's worth taking to the ends of the earth, a saviour who can transform people throughout the world, whatever the culture they come from. Lord, help us to be people who do serve in your way with the weapons that you've given us, people who boast of you and take that message out. For Jesus' sake, amen.